We have a great privilege uh, the last couple of days uh, partnering with Sunrise Church, having some prophetic ministry in uh, Daryl and Lorna and Pastor Rick as well. And it's just been a fantastic time. If you weren't able to be at it, uh, I, I'm sorry. It was just a wonderful time. And uh, the, if you were, did, did you enjoy it? If you, if you were here, did you enjoy it? Clap your hand. Give me something. Yeah. These are moments that you need to, that, that God just helps to move our entire church forward in what God has for us. And when, and when we have a guest from out of town, I love to get somebody else to, to share with you, to, to uh, impart something special to you this morning. I believe that people carry things on their lives, and uh, uh, Pastor Darrell is going to speak here momentarily. Uh, he's been uh, ministering in the Northwest, uh, which is God's country, uh, Oregon, Washington, Br British Columbia, where God lives. And uh, we're happy that we've had a long association in this church with uh, what was called City Bible Church at one time. It's now called Manor House. And uh, that church has just been a, a, a real beacon in our, our region of a church that's a prevailing church uh, for decade after decade after, after decade. And so uh, we are so grateful this morning to have Pastor Daryl come and share with us. Can I ask you to give him a warm welcome as he comes? Give him a, do your best. Okay, come on. Amen. Come on. What an honor uh, to be here today. Actually, to be here all weekend. And uh, I have just had the great privilege of getting to know your pastors over the last number of years. And uh, aren't, aren't you a blessed people? Come on, pastors Craig and Shanda, would you give them a big hand and just tell them how much you love them? What a, what a privilege. My, uh, my role in our church is uh, executive pastor. I oversee our global mission, which has to do with our city's outreach, as well as our uh, national church plant strategy, our global mission. I oversee all of our discipleship. I work with our, our campuses in our city, and I, I rotate, just coach our leaders and our pastors. And, and uh, our, our church has been blessed over the years to uh, plant about 60 churches just directly out from us. Um, several hundred actually internationally, and um, we've been able to send leaders to over 70 nations of the world. And I, I, um, I, I find myself as I travel and work with churches and leaders, um, really finding kindred heart and spirit, not with everyone, but with a few. And, um, and, and it really has to do with a, a common chip that has to do with global vision and the desire to reproduce, and not just reproduce, but multiply. There's a difference. Uh, a reproducing church makes sure that there's enough leaders trained within the church to handle all the ministries of the church, and maybe over the course of their journey, they'll plant one or two churches, and, and they'll reproduce once. But a multiplying church actually continues to train leaders and send churches that have a desire in them to plant churches that plant churches, that plant churches, that plant churches. And there's something that I find here in your pastors, and I, I just, um, without belaboring the point, I just want to say that I believe what's in your pastors is actually in the team, and it's in the church, and that is a multiplication DNA. There's a chip that, uh, that is present, and um, the reason why I'm kind of camping on it is I felt it over the last couple of days, and I wanted to just wait till Sunday morning 
to just draw attention to this and hopefully highlight the fact that when God created man and he placed him in the garden and he said, be fruitful, and he didn't say just reproduce. He said, multiply. Fill the earth. There's a global DNA that's here. Uh, there's a vision that's here, and, and, and your pastors are leaning in and stirring it up in this season. What's legacy offering about? Legacy offering is not about money. It's about an internal multiplication chip that has to be awakened. It has to be breathed upon in every one of us in order to, to fulfill the God-sized mission that's actually choosing you. I'm going to just declare this over this house today. There are mantles that choose you. We don't choose the mantle. We, we find ourselves plowing in a field, and a man of God walks by, and, and, and he throws the mantle. There's a, there's a mantle that's been thrown at this house. It, it finds its way all the way into the root system. And uh, this is in this generation. I just want to say, this generation, those of you that are here this morning, need to stop, lean over, and pick up the mantle that the Lord has tossed your direction. And, uh, and, and it's time to begin to recognize that God has called us. Everybody say, us. God has called us to link arms for something much larger than a Sunday morning gathering. While this is good, and I just want to say, he'll never stop working here in this place, amen? And the Pentecostals of Alexandria don't have anything on that song. Come on, you've got it going on here, amen? You don't know what I'm talking about, that's, uh, that's okay. There's a YouTube video out of another congregation singing it, and it's good, but it was better here this morning. I just have to say, it's better here, because you believe it, I can feel it. But there's something about what the Lord is doing that I think we have to lean into. We have to reach down and pick up. And here's what will happen. It will change the way that we all live. Paul said to the church in Corinthians, I'm going to preach here in a minute. I'm just kind of talking prophetically. But Paul said this to the Corinthians. He said, we don't boast beyond limits, but we'll boast only in regard to the area of influence that God has assigned to us to reach even to you. There's an assignment that's on this house. And if it's on this house, it's not just on Pastors Craig and Chanda. It's on this house. It's on every one of us that calls this place home to be a multiplying individual, to be somebody who says, God, whatever you put in me, I'm going to use for your glory. God, the finances that are in my hand, the giftings, the calling, my treasure, my talents, God, I'm going to use it for your purpose. As we lean in as a church to a region, to a city, God, that's me that's going there. It's not just the church, and I'm not just going to applaud the church. I'm going to invest, and I'm going to engage in what God's doing. And I'm not going to worry about what's happening outside of our sphere. I'm only going to focus on ours. And I, I believe there's an assignment, there's an appointment, and, and uh, it's, it's going to affect who you are. As individuals, it's already affecting who you are as a movement. And here's, here's what I sensed this morning when I walked into the room. That in the midst of this shifting season and the choosing of this house, the, the, the choosing that the Lord is doing, he's actually calling people up into different functions and positions around the church. You're going to find yourself shifting around. And you're going to find yourself taking on responsibilities. You're going to find yourself viewing your own businesses, schools, classrooms, uh, the, the, the responsibilities. When you're going to find yourself moving into those things with a new set of lenses 
that actually says, God, it's not about me. It's about those who you've called us to reach. It's about the cities you've called us to plant. When we go into the nursery, it's not about taking care of babies. It's about future church planters. There's something that's in us that begins to see beyond the moment. I want you to put your hands on your eyes for just a moment. This is is a prophetic moment for this house. Lord, we're not going to boast beyond the measure of our sphere, but we're going to begin to see what's assigned to us. We're not overextending ourselves. Lord, instead, we are looking through a gospel lens. God, what have you called us to? What garden have you placed us in? What portion of the nation have you placed us in? And God, we we choose today to see what it is you see. And I have come, says the Lord, to even speak to this house and declare over this place that there are, even, even within the room this morning, there's eight to ten churches that are resident here in seed form this morning. There's leaders that the Lord has been stirring and working in, and, and even in this place, there's a stirring of the seed of the kingdom. And those leaders are going to begin to step forward, and you're going to find yourself going north, some south, some east, some west. You're going to cross into territories and cities and regions. I see an eruption in the region of of buildings and properties that actually have gone dormant and stale, beginning to be handed over to this house and saying, oh, would you come and send a leader, take over what's been going on? And once again, uh, you you will take the mantle that's upon you and you will strike the ground in that region and life will spring forth. And I will enlarge you, says the Lord. I will cause increase to come. And even as one goes, another one will step in behind them and uh, there will be a shoot of, of, of church planters and leaders beginning to align in this place and come into alignment. And, and not only will some go uh, alone with the backing of this house, some will go with a team, and they will go out and be shot out like arrows, says the Lord. And I say to this house, blessed is the house whose quiver is full of arrows. Blessed is the house that's arrow or that's quiver is full of arrows being shot out around the region says the Lord. And I will cause, even in this season, a shifting to not bring an unsettledness, but instead a sense of clarity and mission that will be attractive. And others will come even without knowledge of their Savior and say, I feel a stirring in my heart. They won't even know what it is, but in the sense of mission and vision, they will fall down on their knees and confess, I was created for a cause. And this house will be known as a sending house. This house will be known as a reaching house. And you will hold both of these things in tension, and you will disciple, and you will launch, and many will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in this place. In Jesus' name. Come on, do you receive that today? Come on, do you receive that today? Amen. Um, I just have to say to uh, Pastor Lorna, what an honor to minister with you the last few days. What a, what a great blessing you are. I've been teasing her. She has a, an anointing for inner healing, and I said, I'll let you do that. I just want to stay away from that. But she just seems to flow in that, and what a, what a great, great blessing you are. Uh, you are in an interesting time as a church. I can sense it. I can feel it. And I, wanna, uh, I want us to do something this morning. I want you to open your Bibles to uh, John chapter 12, John chapter 12. And while you're turning there, I also want to just acknowledge Daniel and Katie 
and uh, just tell you how much I love you guys. Katie grew up in our church. Daniel came and snatched her away and, and uh, brought her back to Canada. But no, we love you guys very much and are so grateful for, for you. Um, I, I, as you're turning to John 12, do want to show you a couple pictures this morning. Picture my wife. Um, this is my wife, Michael. She's not here with me this morning. Uh, she's a sweetheart. She's my partner in crime. Uh, she was 22. I was 24, and we started a church in Centralia, Washington. Young church planners, dumbest decision we ever made in our life, and somehow, somehow God blessed it, and today there's two churches there, not because they split, but because we actually uh, strategized and planted a second one. We returned back to our sending church, which was City Bible Church, back um, just a few years ago, a little over six years ago. We have three kids. I'll put their picture up here too. This is uh, Mariah on the right, my son Judah in the middle, and Noah on the left. Uh, my two sons are both taller than I am, um, and, uh, but I keep telling them I'm stronger, but I don't know that that's true anymore. Uh, my daughter Mariah is a junior in Portland Bible College. She's 20. My son Judah in the middle is 19. He just graduated from high school and uh, is taking some classes at our college, and then my son Noah is six two, and he uh, six foot two, and he is um, uh, a football player, a junior in high school. So love my kids, love my family today. Uh, John chapter twelve. Here's a, here's a verse that I want to uh, read uh, from the New King James. It says, "Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead." There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. And I want you to notice, if you just go back a chapter, Lazarus had just been dead. Not just dead, but dead for four days. Now he's in the house having a meal. That, that's, a, that's a setting I just can't even wrap my mind around. So dead that they were afraid to take the the, the face off of the tomb because of the stench they knew would be behind it when Jesus called him forth from the tomb. So this is a miraculous setting. I, I don't want you to miss the moment here in the context of what's going on. We could read the Bible and just kind of pass by some very interesting details of what's going on. So this is an intriguing dinner. How many have ever had a holiday meal with family that's a little awkward? How many know what I'm talking about? This would be awkward in a different way because they knew that Lazarus had just been dead. I'd be saying, man, what did you do during those four days? What was going on? But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said... Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he had cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone, for she's kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you will have with you always, but me you do not have always. Father, I thank you today for your goodness. Thank you for your word. I pray that you'd help us to understand, to glean, to lean in and receive everything that you have for us from this portion of Scripture in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we're, we're all probably like the lady who was on the screen just a few minutes ago who I just think what a blessing that she was so honest. I leaned over to Craig and said, that video probably stirred my heart more than your preaching last week. You know, like, 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 like that, there, there's something in that. 
in that video. Not that his preaching wasn't good. I, I actually listened to it. I was really stirred. But I'm telling you, when you stop and think about generosity and legacy and what speaking on generosity does to the human heart is it generally provokes us to bring out what's really going on. It actually touches something deep inside of us, but the reality is we all know when we observe generosity and it has a positive impact, it does something very positive to our hearts. How many know what I'm talking about? I grew up in a little Pentecostal church. It was Assemblies of God, and it was about 100 people. I don't think it ever got much over it, but every once in a while it got much under that. You know what I mean? And uh, I remember growing up in this little church and looking, and, and it was kind of a typical old Pentecostal-style church that had a, a very pointed roof and large beams on the side that came up. And I remember those beams were like two stories high. And um, I remember one day sitting in church, and somebody talked about the building of that building. And in the, in the story, they, they, they told the story of a woman who... I knew growing up, and she always sat in the second row up on the right-hand side of the building, and she had scoliosis, and, and her spine was crooked, and she always walked a little funny, and I, I always just kind of thought she was a funny lady. I didn't really know her very well, but they talked about her climbing up on a ladder to paint those beams and to give up her time and her talents, but not only did she do that, her and her husband sacrificed. They were farmers, and they gave, and they gave, and they gave to actually buy those beams. She was invested not only in the purchase of them, but in the installation of them and in the painting of them. And I always saw her in the building cleaning, and I never could understand why she was so vested in the property until I went back and heard the story. And I realized that very young in her life, she actually had a vision for what God was going to do in that place, and her and her husband decided, we're going to direct our lives towards the purpose of God in this place. And we're going to give not just our money, but our time and our treasure, and then we're going to give to the maintaining of it for the sake of all that God wants to do. I'm telling you that story to tell you this. I believe her name was Ora Eaton, and I believe Ora Eaton is standing on this stage with me today. Because I was saved under the roof of that church. I was discipled as a young man under the roof of that church. And in the last 12 months, I've been in almost a dozen nations and spoken over and over and over again to thousands of leaders. And I have to say today that I think Aura has a piece of every message and every word that I've spoken over the last year. Everybody say legacy. There's something about our hearts that, that we like it when it makes us feel good, but when we're challenged by it personally, it reveals some areas of our heart that are maybe not fully in alignment. When I read this story, it actually provokes a lot of thoughts because I actually see a cast of characters, one of them, by the way, I mean Lazarus that I've already mentioned, and that's a whole story in and of itself. But I see two primary characters outside of Jesus in this story. One of them is Mary, and one of them is Judas. And if you just compare their response to giving, to legacy giving, 
the one who says, I have something and I'm going to pour it out, out of appreciation for all that's happened. The one who just says, God, I've been given much, and because I'm grateful for what you've done, I'm going to pour it out, and I'm not going to really care about the cost. I know it's going to cost me a lot. I know I'm going to buy the beams, and then I'm going to paint the beams, and then I'm going to have to maintain the beams, but God, I, I see something beyond this bottle of oil. I, I see Mary, and then I see Judas, and, and really what these two individuals do is they contrast for us two different ways to approach life, two different ways to approach giving, Two different ways to approach legacy. And I, I actually ask myself, and I, I find myself asking some questions about Mary. I ask, why, why was Mary willing to give a year's worth of wages, which is what 300 denarii was? It was a, a year's worth of wages. Maybe you're here today and you make 30,000, 50,000, 100,000. I don't know what you make. But just calculate that and stop and think about it. Does it seem extreme? Doesn't it seem wasteful? Doesn't it seem maybe even a little bit on the foolish side because she didn't even attach it to a social cause? There was no building project at stake. It was just a simple act of gratitude that flowed out of a heart of appreciation for what God had done. Man, can I just poke at our hearts a little bit this morning and just say that giving actually doesn't ever have to be tied to something specific. A heart of generosity actually should primarily be aligned to the work that Christ has done in my life and flow out of appreciation for his purpose that's now flowing through me. I, 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 ask, I have to stop and ask the question, where is the wisdom in her kind of giving? Not only do we say, oh, that's extravagant or extreme, but... Some people say it's foolish. Sometimes we say, that's, that's even unwise. Why would you do that? I'm, I'm also puzzled about a few of the thoughts about Judas. I, I wonder, why did he even care what Mary did? Really, why, why is that even recorded, that he decided to speak up in the middle of the offering? Actually, looking at what somebody else did, why in the world did it generate some frustration in him? It wasn't even his perfume, my voice cracked like Daniel's did. <laughs> what, what was his real motive, and why was he making such a fuss over the offering? The story asked me to, it causes me to stop and ask myself some questions that I have to begin to ask myself, where am I in that room? You know, when, I, when I read the account of, of Luke 2 and everything around the Christmas story, I stop and try to find, man, what character do I most identify with? And I actually, I read the Bible this way. I, I, I try to discover, man, what emotions were going on in that person in that room at that time, and why did they think the way they thought? And then I try to use that to discern any wicked ways that are in me, and I try to process through the lens of the characters in the Bible. It's just kind of one of the ways that I think. And so when I read this story, I have to stop and ask myself the question, man, where, where am I in that room? What, what attitude and what perspective actually best pictures me? Why do I, and who do I live most like in my everyday life? Am I passionate about living my life for myself? Am I 
surrendered to God and his purpose. The story, I think, can really be boiled down to two different kinds of people, those that live their lives for themselves and those that live their lives for God. I, I just want to get that simple. And, and the first person that I want to look at, actually dive a little bit deeper into, is the journey that, that puts self first, which would be Judas, if I could just kind of put that label over what I see here in this portion of Scripture. If I think about the journey of life and I think about the journey of generosity, I have to stop and think about Judas in this story. And at first glance, it, it appears like Judas brought up a genuine concern. And this is what he said in verse 5. Uh, I'll just put this on the screen. Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? It seems to make sense. Like, I really care about the poor, a year's wages. That's extravagant. I don't think we should do that. And I, I actually find myself at different times looking at how other people spend their money or how other people act or how other people function and make judgments about it. But can I tell you, when I make a judgment about what somebody else is doing, it's actually a reflection of my heart, not what's going on in their life. Oh, man, I, I drove all the way up here from Portland to say a few things that I can't wait to get in my car and go home, all right, and, and just kind of leave this behind. But when we get critical over generosity, it often is a reflection of what's going on in our own heart. And Jesus, I think, was masterful in his response because he wasn't really concerned with the question. He was concerned with the heart motive behind the question. Like Jesus had a heart for the poor, no doubt. What came out of his money box often went to the poor. Jesus was actually probing much deeper. In fact, the Bible actually then records this in verse 6. I won't put it on the screen, but it says he didn't care for the poor because he was actually a thief. What was going on in his heart? was an internal focus on himself. When you're a generous woman, it makes me look bad. And when you're so open, it actually, like, brings about a mirrored reflection of my heart, which is actually to take. I'm not in this thing to give. I'm in it to get. Man, can I tell you that oftentimes... We actually form a relationship with God around the subject of generosity that's called transactional rather than transformational. We want to give and then extract. Can I tell you, everything has been given to us. Everything we have comes from God. The breath in our lungs, the bodies that we walk in. Come on, the church that we're sitting in, the money in our bank account, it all comes from the Lord. And when we begin to recognize the source of everything we have, we can't help but be generous and give back with gratitude and appreciation for all that he's done. But when I have a Judas heart... I actually come and say, well, you know, I gave $27, and I, 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 think, I think it's probably not being used in the most appropriate way, so I'm going to withhold my tithe. It, it, it in your tithe. It's not my tithe. I don't even give my tithe. I bring my tithe to the Lord. I return my tithe to the Lord. 
and I give generous offerings out of all that he's put in my life. Oftentimes, the Judas attitude and perspective comes from an internal, cynical view that says somehow I'm, I'm owed something. And can I tell you that, that that has to mature out of us. In fact, it's in us in creation because we're born in sin. We're conceived in sin. I've got three wonderful kids, and I never had to teach them the word mine. I never had to teach them the word mine. I never had to teach them the word no. <laughs> I never had to teach them what it meant to, to not want to respond. No, it's in us, and as we mature, hopefully we grow out of a selfish nature that actually begins to understand that even as I grow as a follower of Jesus, I can put away an old nature, I can actually be reborn into a new nature, and what was once stingy actually becomes generous, becomes heartfelt, and I begin to recognize, even as Paul said to the Corinthians, Jesus supplies seed to the sower, and by the way, he also gives bread for food. He'll supply every need that you have according to his riches and glory. That's what he told the Philippian church. Whatever you need, I've learned to be content because it's my God who supplies. Yeah, I, I have, there's another perplexing thought that shows up in my mind when I read this story. And that is why in the world did Jesus allow Judas to manage the money box? <laughs> Come on, let's, let's, let's just stop and, and, and get a little bit of a kick out of this for a minute. You know the treasurer is skimming off the top. You know there's dysfunction in the way of the heart. And somehow, even when he says, man, we should have sold that and given the money to the poor, you're just like, yeah, I know, I know he's a thief. Don't worry about it. Just don't worry about it. What, oh, what do you mean don't, don't worry about it? See, God actually is so merciful and so gracious and so loving and so caring and so long-suffering that he'll actually allow us to sit in his house and serve him and love him and be at his table and still have areas of our heart that are not yet surrendered? See, what I, what I find when I ask myself the question is I actually find that God is merciful not only to Judas, but he's merciful to me because my heart is not always in alignment with his purpose. Sometimes there's a Judas perspective in my own soul, and, and I've actually kept things for myself, and I, I've manipulated God in a transactional way, and I'm trying to keep things for myself, when in reality God is giving opportunity and time for us to be transformed. I believe that one of the greatest things a church can do in a season like this is actually stop and cultivate a heart of generosity because it runs countercultural to everything that we were born in, everything that we have been steeped in, and everything that the culture tells you that says if you'll just get a few more things, then you'll be satisfied. You'll never be satisfied with more things. At the end of the day, what we need is we need another born-again moment <laughs> where another portion of our heart gets redeemed and gets sanctified and the Holy Spirit begins to show up 
in our hearts. The second portion of this journey and the second example would be the journey that puts God and others first, and that is Mary. Here's another interesting question I thought about when I read the story. What would cause Mary to give so freely? What would cause her to open up her heart, her mind, and just be willing to give without any expectation of return? It seems to be so contrary to even the way that I, I live my own life, but I'm, I'm just here to be honest with you today. It feels pretty refreshing. It feels refreshing to think about Aura Eaton giving decades of her time, her energy, and her finance. The fact that this church was founded and generationally it's moving forward. Thank God for every leader who's paid the price over the decades. Thank God for the mothers and fathers in this house who have stood the test of time and paid the price and gone the extra mile so that the next generation of church planters that get in the chute, that get in the quiver and they're shot out, they're standing on the shoulders of the former generation. There's something about the legacy component that all of us have to understand. And can I tell you that there's children in the nursery today that need this generation. They need the young marrieds of this room. Come on. They need, they need the young adults. They need the middle-aged. They need the young entrepreneurs. They need the, the, the entrepreneurs that are just launching out. They need you to actually build something for them, for the next generation, to actually stand on the shoulders of the former generation and make sure we don't miss any component of the legacy as this thing moves forward. Seems so contrary to the way we work, but it's so refreshing. John 12, 3 says this. It says, Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. And here is the principle that it feels so right, but it's so hard to live. It's simply this. It's a generous heart is a sign of a grateful heart. A generous heart is a sign of a grateful heart. What was Mary grateful for? She was grateful for the fact that just a matter of, of days earlier, her, her brother was dead. She was in desperate need, and, and in an undeserving but yet loving way, Jesus came and called Lazarus by name. And he came out of the tomb and came back to life, and her brother who was dead was sitting at the table with her. You want to know what, what stirred her heart of generosity? It was actually an appreciation. It was a gratitude for the work that Christ had done in her life. When I push all my pressures aside, when I push the fact aside that sometimes I, I just I need, I need money, I need, I need miracle money, sometimes I, I need I need relationships to turn around. I've got young adult kids. and My son Judah, the last couple of years, hasn't even really wanted to serve God. It's been a real challenge for us. And here just a couple of months ago, he came down the stairs in the middle of the day, tears running down his eyes. I had no idea it was coming. And he said, Dad, I'm going to Portland Bible College this fall. And I looked at him and he said, don't talk to me about it. And he turned around and walked out of the room. I realized that all the while I was seeking the Lord and asking him to intervene, God was working. And at the right moment, in the right way, God called my Lazarus forth. 
And he came out of the tomb and he came down and he sat at the table. And I'm telling you, I'm watching a miracle before my eyes. I, I could tell you a story last year, a financial need that I had, and a guy in the church came up to me. And in the month of January, the Lord had asked me specifically to give a certain amount of money. And by the way, uh, uh, not do some work on the side that I had planned to make the extra money that I was going to give. So God not only told me to give, but not do the work that was going to get the money that I gave. And I, I felt so trapped in that moment. And I, I had a guy from the church come and he said, Daryl, what can I pray for you for? And I said, pray for wisdom. Because that's what Christians do. We don't, we don't get specific and serious and vulnerable we, we find a good spiritual term, and we make it sound like everything's going okay. And so I said, I need, I need wisdom. And he said, come on now, you understand what I'm saying, don't you? I said, I need wisdom. And he looked at me, and he said, Daryl, no, I need a real answer. And thank God for a body of believers that is willing to be vulnerable. And I said, all right, I need $2,000. And he said, I believe it's on its way. And uh, I said, okay, well, I, I hope so. And I, I kind of walked away. <laughs> and here, here's the thing is, I actually have a lot of faith for finance for other people. But I was struggling to believe that God would show up in my own life. And he texted me the next morning. He said, do you have the 2000 yet? And I said, no, Robert, I don't have the $2,000 yet. And the second day he texted me, and I had to say no. And the third day I was just like, all right, God, I'm embarrassed for you now? Like, like, and I, I started thinking, Robert, stop texting me. Stop texting me. Day seven, I literally thought, I hope he forgot. Like a week later, maybe he rested yesterday, and now, now we're in the next week, and I hope he forgot. He didn't forget. So day seven, day eight, day nine, day ten, he kept asking. And, I, and day 14, actually, something started to shift in my heart, and I started to believe, maybe... Maybe I need to contend. Maybe I need to be like the persistent widow and start knocking on the door and praying and believing and asking for my righteous judge to come through. Like, like maybe there's something that I need to learn from Robert in this. And here, I'm, I'm the global leader. Like, like, I'm supposed to be smarter than this. And well, no, just a guy in the church, and he's, he's challenging my thoughts. Day 21, I went to the mailbox. And there was an unexpected check for $2,157 that showed up in my mailbox. And I stood at the mailbox and cried like a little girl. Like, I just was like, this is unbelievable. And he, <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm absolutely running out of time. Here, here's, here's what I believe the, the third thing is and the final thing, is that God does reward a generous heart. I, I think Ora Eaton, when she stepped into eternity, has got a reward that is far beyond what anybody would have ever thought in the natural. Some of our rewards are this side of eternity, but most of them are on the other side. There are some people in this room, you've given, you've served, you've sown, you've gone the extra mile. And there's, there's a wealth of legacy that's stored up for you in heaven. This is what the scriptures say in Matthew 26. It says, I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, 
this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. We're discussing it today because the extravagant, generous heart of somebody who says everything that's in my hand, ultimately, Lord, it belongs to you. But I'll give, and the impact has gone on for generations. The impact doesn't look like oftentimes we think it should, but I want to tell you it doesn't need to be our motive to get the end result. I need to understand that when I give, the Lord takes care of the legacy. The Lord takes care of the increase. I just need to be out of a generous heart, willing to give, not allow a spirit of judgmentalism or criticism to enter like Judas, but instead realize God's giving me opportunity like he did Judas to continue to align my heart. And if I'll align my heart with appreciation and gratitude for what the Lord has done, I can do nothing except respond to him with a generous heart and say, thank you, Lord. And I want to tell you, church, if we will, as a body of believers at Horizon Church, actually rise up in this hour and be the generous people God has called us to be, not only will you plant churches in the region, you'll plant internationally, and there'll be a legacy developed for the sake of the kingdom of God, but it's not just going to take some pastors. It's going to take the whole church leaning in to the purpose of God, saying we're going to be like Mary in our generation. Can I hear an amen? Come on, let's watch this video together. In Psalm 31, David writes, The righteous give generously. And your generosity last year supported multiple church plants and ministries in our region. City Collective Church in Langley recently celebrated their first birthday. Lead Pastor Jason Charles tells the story of how their original team of six moved from Calgary to Langley and started growing a community around a kitchen table found on Craigslist. That team of six grew to 46 by launch Sunday and on to 66 by the end of their first year. Attendance has grown to over 100 every week and community events attract more than 700. Supported by your generosity, City Collective Church are seeing life transformation within the homes of families across Langley and beyond. Families like the Ritchies, who had never attended church before, whose father was a professed atheist and who are now attending City Collective every Sunday, serving, giving, participating in community, and soaking up the story of hope. Citizens Church in Surrey Central also celebrated their first birthday recently. Hey Horizon Church, it's Jason and Kelsey, and we are here uh, just wanting to give you an update from Citizens Church. Yeah, and this year has really been a year of firsts for us as a church. Yeah. Uh, we've had our first uh, dinner parties that we've thrown. We've had our first community groups gather. Our our first Easter together where we did a, an event in the city. We had over 400 people from our neighborhood come and we made connections. And uh, as we've been experiencing all of these first, what we've seen is, is the things that God's put in our hearts start to bear some fruit in the people of our church. And Fos Church launched on September 29th of this year on the Cloverdale-Langley border with an intentional focus on depth of community. Lead pastor Carl Amuzu shared how one lady who had just moved to Metro Vancouver from Mexico turned up to one of Fos's family dinners on Thanksgiving and before leaving said she never imagined that on her first day in a new place she would find a community that embraced her as family. 
He tells of a couple who found themselves on a spiritually nomadic journey. Connected with Fos on Facebook, came the week after launch with all their doubts and unbelief, and found hope. He shares how they are hearing stories of reconciliation and forgiveness, gratitude and compassion every week. In his own words, God is moving and it is beautiful. These stories, together with many others, demonstrate how your generosity is already transforming our region. But we're believing for more. With a new campus in Princeton on the horizon, and a new church plant in South Surrey planned for September next year, imagine how your continued generosity could make a difference. Whether time, talent or treasure, we all have something to give. We all have a legacy. I invite you to stand to your feet, yeah. Stand to your feet real quick. It's really an invitation, isn't it? We are literally living in the legacy of someone who paid a price that we could enjoy to know Jesus, to have our lives transformed, to see our family transformed. And it doesn't happen by accident. It happens with great intentionality. Last week we talked about giving globally. And if you haven't heard that, you can go on horizonfam.ca, listen to that. Today we're emphasizing regionally planting of churches that God's called us to do. And as Daryl so ably put it, it's not just my job or Shanda's job, it's our job. Someone can help me out here, come on. It's our job. It's our great privilege. Pastor Kirk, thank you. Thank you that I have something to work with because you sacrificed, because you gave, because you left a legacy of life and impact. And Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> what a great, great God we serve. I just want to challenge you to be praying. Next week, we're going to take a legacy offering. It's going to be our great privilege to give. It's going to be our great privilege to give so that people who are wondering if there's a God who loves them, wondering if there's any hope for their life, can find an answer in Jesus Christ. It's going to be our great privilege to give so that we can give gifts and give food and, and pray for people and send missionaries and church planters and do things that are on the heart of God that are far beyond our current ability and our current capacity. But as we obey God, as we do what God's called us to do, not under compulsion, but listening to Jesus and we respond to Him, what could He do? What could He do? In you, through you, and through us. Father, we thank You for the great privilege it is to serve You, for the great privilege it is to know You, for how You've transformed our lives. If your life's been transformed by God, can you just lift your hands, pray with me right now? Father, we thank you for the great privilege it is to serve you. Thank you for the great privilege it is to know you. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for what you've done in our family. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in this church. Thank you for what you've done in Citizens Church. Thank you for what you've done in City Collective Church. Thank you for what you've done in Church Untitled. Thank you for what you've done in Horizon Church. Thank you for what you're doing in Manor House, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing in Lorna's Church, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing in Sunrise Church. Thank you for what you're doing in our region, Lord. Lord Jesus. Lord, we say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we sing this song, Lord, we declare and agree and align ourselves 
that you are the way maker. You're the one who makes a way where there seems to be no way. You're working when we don't see it. You're working when we don't know it. You're a good, good God. In the strong name of Jesus, let's sing this as we close out now.